You can have a seat. Last week we began a new series of lessons that I'm calling Next Steps, and we're thinking about how we grow in Christ and what our next steps are as we gain strength and develop our relationship with Jesus. And, and of course that looks different for each one of us because we're all in different places on this journey, and that's not necessarily good or bad, it's just where we are. We have different experiences, different times serving, we have different studies that we've gone through, different mentors that we've talked through. So talk to. So it's good for us to think about where we are in our relationship with Jesus and what the next steps are as we grow in this. So that's what we're doing in this series. And last week we backed up a little bit and thought about our initial commitment to Jesus Christ. And have we made that commitment? Have we dedicated ourselves to faith and following Jesus and making him the center of our lives. And, and maybe you'd been thinking through that, and we talked about the steps that are involved in that initial commitment of faith and then repentance and baptism. Now today I want us to take the next step, and, and we're thinking through our mission to love God and love others as individuals and as a church, but then also, what are the ways that we do that? What's our strategy for that happening in our lives? And that's really the next steps that we want to talk about and we've thought of three words that I think guide us through this and help us grow in Christ. And they're very simple, and we can all take them home with us. Gather, grow, and go. Okay? And so today we're going to think about gathering, and that, that's what we're doing today. We also want to think next week about growing in our relationship, and oftentimes that's done in smaller groups where we can connect with other people and connect with God in a different way, and then making sure we don't keep that faith to ourselves, but going and doing something in our community and in our world so that people are impacted by our faith and impacted by what Christ has done. Now today, we're backing up to gather. What does it mean for us to gather? And you know, in our culture, I think there's lots of forces at work that make us skeptical as to whether gathering really matters. Is it important for us to gather in this room every week for worship and teaching and gather around the table? Does that even matter? It seems maybe a little antiquated in our world. Maybe that was nice for our parents or our grandparents to do, but, but do we really need to gather? And in fact, if we look at our culture, what we find is that we're gathering Less and less. More and more of our experiences are individualistic, right? They're, they're customized, they're tailored to our own desires, our own needs, our own wants. We, we think about entertainment, right? We don't sit down at the same time and watch one TV show on the TV. We, we got all kinds of screens and all kinds of subscriptions that may allow us to watch what we want when we want it, we got Netflix and Amazon Prime and Hulu and whoever knows what else you got. And, and we just, hey, I watch what I want to watch when I want to watch it. And, and somebody else in the house watches what they want to watch at the same time. It's, it's really individualized to us. We, we had sort of a disaster in our house this week when our DVR conked out, okay? And, and we lost months of programming that we'll never catch up on, right? I mean, I hope you'll put us on your prayer list until we can recover, <laughs> recover from that, but... We don't have time to sit down and say, okay, this show comes on at 8 o'clock on Sunday nights. We, we record it and then watch it when we got time and skip the commercials, right? We do that nowadays. But we have lots of ways in our culture in which it's all individualized. We, we know that department stores are struggling right now. Why is that? Well, we can choose to shop anytime we want. Our shopping is not limited by their location and their hours. We shop online anytime and in any place that we want. Our culture is individualized, and that's true for us spiritually as well. The truth is, 
Okay, don't tell anybody this, but you could have stayed home and watched communicators who are far better than me talk about Scripture, right? That's available to all of us. And in fact, you could have made a playlist on Spotify of your favorite worship music and just listened to that or watched it on YouTube, and it would have been completely individualized, tailored to what you like and what you want. So with all that available to us, why do we need to gather in this room at this time and listen to worship music that somebody else picked out and you're stuck with the same speaker every week? Why would we do that? Well, let's think about that for a few minutes. What does Scripture have to say about that? Last week I said we were going to park primarily in the series in Acts 16 and 17. I'm straying from that a little bit because I want us to turn a couple chapters over and take a brief walk through a couple of chapters in the book of Acts, chapters 19 and 20. Remember, Acts is the account of the earliest history of the church. We have a big section of Acts that's devoted to the travels of Paul, uh, an early apostle, an evangelist, somebody who went and spoke to people who had never heard about Jesus. And we have him going all over the Mediterranean area speaking about Jesus. And in Acts chapter 19, we find Paul in the city of Ephesus. And Paul did what Paul normally did when he went to a town Being a Jewish teacher, he went to the synagogue, which was where the Jews gathered for teaching, and he would often get the opportunity to speak. And since he was a learned teacher, he would speak about prophecy that he saw pointing to Jesus and fulfilled in Jesus. Now, sometimes people loved that, and they followed this teaching and put their faith in Jesus. Sometimes people didn't love that, and in Ephesus, they weren't too thrilled with what he had to say. So we read this in Acts chapter 19, beginning in verse 9. But some of them became obstinate. They were stubborn. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. That is, the followers of Jesus. Okay, we're part of the way now. That was an early way of referring to the church. So they're saying bad things about the church. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. So what happens? They leave the synagogue, they go as a group, and they start meeting down the street or around the corner or this rented space that they could find, this lecture hall, and they met together every day for teaching. This went on, verse 10, for two years, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. So these Christians start meeting elsewhere, Jewish followers of Jesus, they start meeting in this lecture hall daily for this teaching. And what's the result? As a result of them gathering together, people all over, not just Ephesus, but the whole province of Asia, which is this Roman province that surrounds Ephesus, people began to hear about Jesus and believe not just Jews, but Gentiles as well. So the result is more and more followers of Jesus because these Christians gathered together for worship, for teaching. Now, Paul continues this ministry in Ephesus for a couple years, we read right there in Acts chapter 19, verse 10. And some strange things begin to happen. Paul does these amazing miracles, and he has power over demons, and and the sorcerers in, in the city, the magicians in the city, begin to recognize that Paul who's a follower of Jesus, has more power than they do. All their spells that they can perform and all the gods that they worship are not as powerful as what Paul is doing. And in fact, they begin to see that Jesus is Lord. And they recognize that what they've been dealing with 
is not the same thing as the one true God. So what happens? We skip down a few verses to verse 19. A number who had practiced sorcery, magic, brought their scrolls, their magic books, together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. It was a bunch of money. In this way, what happens, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. So what happened with these men? They came together and burned their magic books. Now, why couldn't they have just gone home and fed their own fireplaces with these books? Could have done that, but it wouldn't have had the same impact. They came together and did this and made a spectacle of it. And what's the result? People are brought to Christ. Again, the result is that people believe in Jesus Christ, just as when they're gathering to hear Paul teach. Okay, so Paul finishes that ministry in Ephesus, and he begins to travel again, and he's got this group going with him, and Luke, who both wrote the book of Acts, is part of that group, and, and they're traveling around, sort of separating, and then meeting up in different places, and finally, Troas becomes the place that they're all going to meet up. So we skip over to chapter 20, beginning in verse 6, but we sailed from Philippi after the festival of unleavened bread, and five days later, we joined the others at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. Now, Luke is very careful with the language that he uses. He's very precise. And so he tells us that they stayed for seven days. I wonder why that would be important. Well, he answers that question in verse 7. On the first day of the week, we came together to do what? Have communion. To break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight, which is what everybody wants to hear from a preacher, right? Let's, let's go till midnight. If you read the rest of the chapter, what you can find is the first casualty of a sermon that went on a little bit too long. Read that this afternoon. But what's going on here? What we see is Paul coming to the city, and then, then he stays for exactly seven days for these Christians to come together for worship. And when did they worship? The first day of the week. And what did they do? They broke bread. They had communion together. And Paul wants to be present with them when they worship. It's an early example of what we see Christians doing just what we've done this morning. We gathered together in this place for worship and in part to break bread together. It was the heart of their worship. It's the heart of our worship, a celebration of what Jesus has done on the cross and ultimately did when he was raised from the dead and what we receive from that. So Paul stays there specifically to gather with these Christians when they gathered, which was the first day of the week, to celebrate Jesus. They gather together again. And then Paul leaves there, and he's headed back home. The journey's sort of coming to a conclusion, and he comes nearby Ephesus, but he's not going to go into Ephesus. He recognizes that he's never going to be in this area again. Paul can sort of see the handwriting on the wall that this is his last big journey, except the, the very final one to Rome, and which will end in his death. And so Paul calls the elders in the church in Ephesus to come meet him nearby, and they gather, and they pray, and Paul gives them sort of a final charge. He knows this will be the last time. One more time to gather together. So in just these two chapters, in this brief walk that we've done through those two chapters, what have we seen? We've seen Christians gather for four different times for several different reasons. What is it? Well, they gathered for worship, 
around the table. They gathered for teaching. They gathered for prayer and encouragement. We see them gathering together sort of attract attention. We see the church seeing the need to be together. That it made a statement. That they gained something from one another. That they gained something from being in the presence of God. That, that worship really mattered. And so what do we learn from these, from these two chapters, this big passage that talks about these gatherings? This is the simple way to put it. Being together is part of being the church. Being together is part of being the church. So it matters that we have some time together. It matters that we come and we worship together and open God's word and gather around the table. It matters because it's important for us and it matters because there are people who are going to be drawn to Jesus Christ because of what we do in this room. Gathering is part of being the church. Now, one of the things we might say is, well, you know what? Things have changed a little bit in 2,000 years. And in fact, things have changed a lot in the past even 50 years with the advent of some technology that's really changed our world. So, do we still need to do that? Does it still matter that we come together for worship and teaching and the Lord's Supper and, and to share the message of Jesus? Couldn't we just sort of do that online? Couldn't we have a Facebook group and sort of do the same thing? You know, I don't think it's the same. I don't think it's the same for us to, to have communication as it is to be together and worship together and share in each other's presence and the presence of the Holy Spirit. The truth is, Paul knew how to communicate over long distances, right? I mean, we have letters that he wrote, long letters that he wrote, that fill many pages in what we call the New Testament in our Bibles. Paul knew the importance of communication. But it wasn't the same as being together. It wasn't the same as sharing an experience of worship. It wasn't the same as gathering around the table and sharing in communion. We need this time to be the church. Now, we really can gather in homes. We can't. A family could come together and have communion this afternoon, and it would be perfectly valid and pleasing to God. But it doesn't do exactly the same thing as us coming in this room as a body and sharing this experience together. We can't be the church in the same way if we are never together. The truth is, we're the church when we leave this place. The church is not this room. The church is us. So we're still the church, but if we never come together, we can't be the church in the same way. So, if part of being the church is being together, how do we approach this gathering? How do we think about that? Are there things that we should do to, to prepare for this? And, and let me say a couple things. The first is this. Make this gathering, make gathering together, a priority. It really does matter. Now, you know, I know it's a different experience for you than it is for some of us who are on staff, right? I mean, we, we think about this all week long. We prepare for this experience all week long. There's a lot of hours that are put into planning and preparing by both staff and volunteers. Why? Because when you get here, we want this to be an engaging experience, we want you to encounter something different here than you would find anywhere else in our community or in our world. 
We want you to relate to God because you are here this morning. We want this to be a positive experience and something that you would feel comfortable saying to friends or family, hey, I want you to come and be part of this as well. And I also recognize that like, you have a life outside this room, right? And, and we're not here to scold you for a missing because you go visit some family or because there's something happening in your life and you can't be there. That's not the point. The point is this. This gathering matters. And we can't be the church if we don't do this. So the best way to, to make this a priority is to make it a habit. Like you just assume Sunday morning is going to be a time to go and worship. So make it a priority in your lives because we all need it. Every one of us needs the encouragement that we find here and the presence that we find as a part of being the church together. And then second, and this one's hard for a lot of us, when we get to this place, engage rather than evaluate. You know, when I go to another church, I'm maybe there for a vacation or on a, a weekend when we're visiting family or I'm in some other setting at a conference and there's a worship service, the first thing that I do, I mean, as soon as I walk in the room is start to evaluate, right? What do I think of this room? What do I think about their screens? What do I think about their stage? And then it's once the worship service starts, well, are they really good worship leaders? Do I like this song? I've never heard it before. Would we like to sing it at our church? And then is the communicator good? Do they have the words right on the screen? All the things that go through my head and what's all that, it's all evaluation. I'm thinking about how well they are doing what they're doing. And I forget it needs to be about engaging God and engaging with that group of worshipers and allowing that experience to transform who I am and to help me to grow in faith and help me to take the next step of faith. And I think it's easy for lots of us to do this evaluating, right? To think about other people that we've heard speak or other worship leaders that we've heard or songs that we like better than we're, we're hearing today or what another experience in communion was like. And it's easy for us to just evaluate. What we need to do rather than evaluate is engage. Now, there's a place for evaluation. There's a time for it. It's, it's important for us as staff or volunteers that are involved in worship to go, okay, did that work? Did that not work? How could we do that better? There's a place for that. But you know, it's really not in this room during this time. As easy as it is for me or lots of you to do, it's better for us to say, okay, how is this speaking to my relationship with Jesus Christ? How is God challenging me today through what's being said around the table and through taking communion? How are these songs helping me relate to God in a way that I haven't? And what is Scripture teaching me today? And then, how do I need to respond to all of this? This whole experience, how do I respond to that? That's the engagement that we need rather than just the evaluation that it's so easy for us to do. So today, here we are. We gathered in this room. We are the church today. How does this experience affect you? And is it a priority? Because if we're going to be the church, if we're going to grow in our faith, some of that, not all of it, but some of it will take place in this room at times like this. But it only happens if we make it a priority 
We allow it to engage our hearts and our souls and our minds rather than just sort of looking through and seeing whether we like what we see or maybe we don't. Allow it to transform you. Allow it to make you into the person that God wants you to be. Because only when we gather, you know, it makes us the church in a special way. Let's pray together. God, we're thankful for the times when we can gather as your people, gather in this place and allow our experience to transform us as you engage us with your spirit and we engage one another in worship. So God, we pray that our times together will make us into the people that you want us to be. And God, we ask that you would help us to take the next steps of faith as we think through what, what really is next for us and how we can grow in our relationship with you and with Jesus. And God, we pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to Christ's offer of salvation that we talked about early on. People have been responding to that, we know, for 2,000 years and saying, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm going to put my faith in him. I'm going to repent of my sins and I'm going to be immersed or baptized into him. If you made that decision, we want to know about it. We want to see that happen in your life. Just come forward. Let us know as we stand to sing this invitation. Let's stand together.